This is The Nexus, and I am Art Swift. In this episode, I'll be talking with Angela Greiling Keene, the deputy states editor at Politico, who will share what is happening in several major states on the issues of abortion, medical marijuana, the minimum wage, and if the resistance to the Trump White House is working. And I'll be offering my thoughts on how the Democratic Party can lose in 2020. It's actually easy for the party to blow it against the least popular first-term president in modern memory. And now, the Nexus. Angela Greiling Keene is the deputy states editor at Politico, where she oversees coverage of several prominent states in the union. She was a White House reporter at Bloomberg and also is a past president of the National Press Club, which I happen to be a member of as well. Angela has a unique vantage point into how states like Florida, California, New York, and New Jersey are dealing with the Trump White House and how their innovations may be setting the tone for the rest of the nation. Angela, welcome to the Nexus. Good to be here. So I've been hearing a bit about states that are doing their own thing during the Trump presidency, meaning enacting policy that conflicts with the federal government, like different environmental standards, for one thing. In general, is this a trend that's happening? I think it is. I don't think it's necessarily a new trend. California, which is one of the states that we cover at Politico, has been doing this for a long time. They certainly did it during the Obama administration as well, especially on the environment. California has their own auto emission standards, and they've also applied regulations to freight transportation emissions. So they really are are setting the way on that. Um, I think what's what's different now is that we see more states following or trying to follow California's lead. So there's certainly states that that want to either codify protections that they think the Trump White House might take away or um, just go out on their own with some regulation and legislation. Um, so we see this happening in um, marijuana policy. We definitely see it happening in the environment. And then criminal justice reform is a, sort of a new way. It's, it's tied, I think, in many ways to marijuana because uh, there's states that see opportunities for criminal justice reform tied to marijuana legalization. That's something we see happening in New Jersey, which is one of the other states that we cover. Um, but those are definitely ways that, that states are taking the lead, taking advantage of states' rights that Republican administrations say are so important, and finding ways to do what they see as uh, protecting things like the environment and their citizens' rights. So would you say that state governors or leaders are acting publicly one way about the Trump White House and then privately toward the president saying something different? I think everyone that makes it to be a governor is savvy enough to figure out that they have more than one audience. So governors in, say, blue states want to have high approval ratings. In some cases, they want to get reelected and they represent people who have uh, put them in office and, and may have more liberal values than the current administration does. So what governors say to their constituents may be one thing. What they say to the president, to his administration, may be a different thing. Governors realize that in order to get what they need at the federal level, they need to be friendly, uh, at least on good terms, with 
with the White House, with any White House, in fact. Most states have offices in D.C., and the people running those offices are uh, very savvy operatives for the most part, and they know how to get things done in Washington. Uh, they know how to do their state's bidding. And even in the era that we're in post-earmarks now, there's still a lot to look out for to make sure states win as much as they can on spending and policy decisions that come out of the federal government. Uh, so I think that what we see is uh, politicians at the governor's level mostly saying what they need to say to, to their people. Uh, I'll give an example of Governor Gavin Newsom in California. California, of course, is a solidly blue state in that way for a long time, and Newsom is arguably an ardent critic of President Trump. In fact, his attorney general, Javier Becerra, led the lawsuit that more than a dozen states filed challenging the president's use of an emergency declaration to get money to build the border wall. But even Gavin Newsom is pragmatic enough to know when to appear with Trump in person, as he did in November when the president came to California after wildfires there. Uh, he says publicly some nice things about working with the president, doles out a few platitudes. He did that a few weeks ago when he was in Washington for the National Governors Association meeting. And by all reports, Newsom and Trump continue to have private conversations about things that matter to California, namely, at this moment, wildfire mitigation. So th those conversations keep happening, even though the public can see tweets that Trump sends about California and how it's screwing up wildfire management. There was one um, a couple months ago that famously um, suggested uh, basically calling out for us. Um, but the, pre the president will say his thing, Gavin Newsom will say his thing, and then behind the scenes, they may actually work together. Don't forget on that one, one piece of palace intrigue is that uh, Newsom's ex-wife is reported to be dating Donald Trump Jr. So there's an extra element of publication in that relationship that we don't see with other gubernatorial presidential relationships. Newsom's ex-wife, isn't that Kimberly Guilfoyle? Is that the right name? That's correct, yes. <laughs> dating Donald Trump Jr. So that is, uh, that's gotta, that's gotta hurt maybe a little bit, or maybe not. Maybe he's, they're completely, uh, maybe, maybe Newsom can use it to his advantage. Who knows? <laughs> I love it. And and do you think Newsom was similar to the way governor Jerry Brown, for example, handled the president? Uh, no, I think that Newsom and Brown styles are, are pretty different. Um, Brown, obviously, long, long time politician, uh, dealt with, in, in his various roles, dealt with a lot of presidents, in fact, uh, flirted with, you know, trying to be the president himself. Uh, Newsom is a much younger politician and um, uh, someone who has a, a very different style than Brown. So Newsom, Newsom is willing to be fiery, but um, he's also the kind of person who pretty establishment politician in terms of wanting to get things done to actually accomplish what he needs in terms of um, money and policy for his state. One of the other areas he's working on is um, one of his priorities is single payer um, health insurance in California. And to be able to do that, which is one of his uh, campaign promises, he will need a waiver from the federal government. So it's in Newsom's interest to, uh, to allow that to happen and to persuade the federal government to give California that waiver. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, you touched upon it a little bit earlier, but it's obvious that certain states are, are taking the lead on abortion, uh, considering bills that 
would outlaw abortion if a heartbeat is detected. And in other cases, protecting so-called late-term abortion. What should we know about that? Yeah, abortion is a very interesting issue at the state level. Of course, the Supreme Court Roe v. Wade ruling allowed abortion to be legal at the federal level, but it has really been up to states to decide um, you know, whether or how much they want abortion to be legal in states, as uh, most people know, have wildly different laws pertaining to abortion. So what we see now is uh, red and blue states really going in different directions on abortion. New York, under Governor Cuomo, last month enacted a law that um, is intended, defenders say is intended to codify Roe v. Wade, basically. Uh, the, the law allows late-term abortions to happen if the health of the mother is at risk or if the fetus is not viable. But that is it now a New York state law that would um, allow abortions um, up until later in pregnancy if there's a, a reason to, to have them. Uh, Florida is going the other direction, and lawmakers in Florida, which of course is the red state, have said that they are eager to pounce on Roe v. Wade being overturned, and if, if the ruling is overturned eventually by the Supreme Court, Florida lawmakers say that they are ready to ban abortion, to take hmm. advantage of the political climate and make sure abortion is not legal in that state. Um, so you really have states going on their own direction on um, on the topic of abortion. And it could create more of a patchwork than we already have on that. That's, that's so interesting at this point. Um, and another topic that earlier you, you quickly touched upon, I wanted to explore more is medical marijuana. I mean, do you think it's possible that all 50 states will eventually go for it? It's certainly possible, but not certainly no time soon. Um, med- medical and recreational marijuana, of course, are, um, are an issue that uh, divides states and politicians and, and voters in lots of different places. Um, so right now we have 10 states plus the District of Columbia that have legalized recreational marijuana. Another 20 or so states allow medical marijuana. Um, so, two, yeah, different but, um, but related things. Um, in Florida, we where, where there uh, there is medical marijuana allowed by um, by ballot initiative. So that, that that's another interesting way. Voters said they wanted it, and politicians now are into basically implement what the voters said they wanted. Uh, but in Florida, we've done some really interesting reporting on our Politico team about how certain doctors are making it easy for anyone and everyone to get a uh, card to allow them to get medical marijuana with these Bible style events. Um, so that's the kind of thing, you know, will regulators crack down on, on ways that make it too easy to access uh, medical marijuana? There's, there's so many things within um, marijuana policy that are evolving. Um, New Jersey right now, one of our other states, is um, in the midst of, of figuring out how to get um, medical marijuana legalized. Uh, there, the um, Black Caucus wants to tie it to criminal justice reform. Um, they say that's a really important priority to make sure that low-level offenders, people that may have been incarcerated for marijuana offenses, have an opportunity to um, you know, have sentences changed if, um, if marijuana is, um, is legalized in that state. Uh, it's just this fascinating, fascinating story, at, mostly at the state level, because um, th- this administration certainly, and, and the previous administration as well, showed no um, inclination to want to legalize marijuana at the federal level. 
So this really is one that's, uh, that's being led by the state. Absolutely. We're speaking with Angela Greiling Keene uh, of Politico. And I wanted to ask, last year, the Supreme Court ruled that states had the right to legalize sports betting if they wanted to. This undercuts Las Vegas and Atlantic City, certainly. What's the future look like for that? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, the Supreme Court last year overturned a 1992 ruling that kept um, sports betting out of, of most places. Their commercial sports betting obviously uh, doesn't prevent the March Madness pools that um, people will be having in their offices. <laughs> but uh, commercial betting is basically just illegal in um, in Vegas. So it's, it's um, a thing for um, for Vegas and um, wasn't even legal in Atlantic City. So New Jersey was a state that, that um, very much um, fought in favor of, um, of having this overturned because New Jersey, of course, is uh, trying to revitalize Atlantic City, but downtrodden, and it's uh, been very eager to be first out of the gate to allow um, sports betting somewhere else. But even efforts there have bogged down. Um, so we haven't seen that come to fruition yet. Um, Florida is another place where ga- gambling policy is, is very interesting. There are certain segments that would like to see sports betting legalized in, um, in Florida. But in that state, um, there's some conflicts between um, the Central Tribe, which is the only entity allowed to have casinos, and then other entities that have other types of gambling in, um, in Florida. So like many issues, um, even when states are allowed to do something, you can still see different factions within states uh, working against each other to um, to prevent things from from moving forward that even um, governors may want because of the revenue potential of something like this. Makes sense. Um, so, how prominent are, or how are the prominent blue states, I should say, taking the lead on minimum wage? I mean, could the minimum wage hike actually catch on nationwide? It could theoretically, but um, under this administration, uh, supporters of raising the minimum wage, there's a campaign called Fight for 15 that's really led on this one. Um, they have basically given up on uh, on a federal minimum wage of $15 an hour, so they've really focused on, on the state. New Jersey just passed a $15 minimum wage. It'll take several years to implement, but they signed into law that, um, that that will happen. Um, and other blue states are um, are moving in the same direction. Um, Illinois, Connecticut. There's um, obviously already states that have passed states and municipalities um, have passed $15 minimum wages. So, so this campaign is working at the state level, but also working at the um, the city level to find ways to raise um, minimum wage, even though the country is uh, is highly unlikely to do that. So it's it's. Um, it's a pattern that the supporters of $15 an hour for minimum wage see as kind of a, a peer pressure. If you know, more, more places raise it, more places are likely to raise it. But, um, but they're, um, like some of the other issues we've been talking about, it could definitely um, you know, create a, a very split country in terms of um, blue states versus red states moving forward or not moving on something like minimum wage. And you really touched upon it just now. I mean, you said the divided country, blue states versus red states. I mean, everything that we've talked about today is showing that there is a push and pull, a tug of war in a lot of ways between the Trump White House and and certain states, especially blue states. Overall, from your reporting and what you see among colleagues, is the, quote, resistance working? 
Uh, I'll say it's not my place to decide whether it's working or not, but um, but there's definitely an effect. Absolutely. Um, I think that uh, leaders of, of blue states feel particularly emboldened at this moment to, to make changes, to enact um, regulations or laws that um, will protect what they see as important um, workers' rights, abortion rights, all the things that we've been um, been talking about um, criminal justice reform as tied to uh, marijuana legalization, especially these are all things that are important priorities for for Democrats right now, and um, they they know that they're not going to to get those changes out of this administration or out of um, Republican-led places for the most part. So they uh, they feel that um, that it's their place to to um, to do that, and whether it's resistance against the Trump White House. Or not, it's it's um it's definitely a way for um for Democrats to um, advance their agenda at a time when um, they don't have the power at the top in Washington. Great stuff. Well, make sure you check out the continually engaging co- coverage in the state section of Politico and all of Politico, of course. <laughs> um, Angela Gryland Keen, thank you so much for being on the Nexus. Thank you, Art. You would think the Democrats would have a great shot at winning back the White House in 2020. After all, the president is underwater in his approval ratings. He can't get out from under an endless investigation. His sanity is in question due to his ferocious Twitter meltdowns. And every week seems to be a showcase of stupidity. But then there are the Democrats who lost a winnable election in 2016, who fumbled the ball in a surging economy, Yes, Trump lovers, the economy was doing quite well under Obama, and who nominated a candidate that nobody, and I mean nobody, liked. One way they are not going to win is by reprising the internal battles that happened in 2016. You would think Democrats would have learned that the fierce Bernie versus Hillary battle was partially to blame for losing to Trump in the last election. Sadly, the same divisions are rearing their ugly heads this time around. This is happening on two levels. One, the so-called purity tests that Democrats perform, meaning candidate X is not liberal enough or pure enough, and therefore I'm not going to vote for them. Already I've seen people say Joe Biden is a corporate Democrat and there's no way I'll vote for him. When I ask what would they do if he's the nominee, the response is I'll vote third party or not vote at all. Does this mean Jill Stein will make a comeback? She's a doctor after all. And then two, the petty surface level nonsense that accomplishes nothing. Talking about Beto O'Rourke's wife not speaking in his campaign video. Who cares? Is she a trained SEAL? Or that Elizabeth Warren wouldn't be good to have a beer with? Well, she seems like a hard cider type actually. Seriously though, when you say a candidate is too white, too male, What kind of message are you sending here? We're not even out of the gate at the Kentucky Derby and already the horse may have broken its leg. When you sully a candidate so much during the primary, you run the risk of general election voters being so traumatized by petty grievances being elevated to massive scandals that they will do anything not to vote for them. You might say, isn't that what primaries are all about? This is no holds barred warfare. Say and use what you can, and the strong will survive. There is some truth to that. 
But there's also truth to handing the GOP gift issues they can use during the general election. Out of these two issues, the purity test problem is what may capsize the Democratic ship. If there's one thing I don't understand about Democrats is how they can't all align behind the nominee of the party and see the greater good in having someone who is not Donald Trump or George W. Bush or Richard Nixon in the White House. But time and time again, disgruntled voters sit things out because Bernie wasn't for reparations or because Hillary was in the pocket of Wall Street. They vote for Ralph Nader to send a message that two parties don't work for me, man. Meanwhile, Republicans come home, fall in line, and salute, pulling the lever for their nominee. The only time I haven't seen that happen was in 1992 when lots of Republicans were wooed by the plain-talking Ross Perot, whose charts and graphs infomercials actually did better in the ratings than the Major League Baseball playoffs. Fun fact there, but I digress. Can this bubbling, racial, sexual, gender-sensitive cauldron come together behind one person in 2020? Is beating President Trump more important than advancing your pet issue? How wrapped up will Democrats be in Supreme Court packing and free college tuition? And if the nominee doesn't support either or both, that this leads the party to ruin? These are the million-dollar questions. On the edges right now, it's not looking promising for party unity. Democrats are angry. Who can blame them? Trump may be a Russian agent, but the economy is buoyant, and as an incumbent, he's favored no matter what. Before another cruel defeat happens and Democrats are left with the same how-did-this-happen mantra they had in 2016, it seems like eating one's own over trifling triggers is the surest way to ensure the Trump train rolls into the White House once more. And that's our show. The Nexus with Art Swift is recorded in Washington and is produced by Colin Martin. Thank you for joining me. And if you like this podcast, please feel free to share it far and wide. We will see you next time and be well. 